It's good to be here this morning. I, uh, like you said, I've missed you. You might have seen me up here doing announcements or different things like that. Um, Omar and I have been in ministry here at PSCC for about six years, I think now. And um, I've been coming in and out during that season about four years ago when we had our last child, Sylvia Grace. I decided that I didn't want to be an employee at the church anymore. I wanted to stay home and raise my babies. And that is fun, but I couldn't stay away for very long. So after a few months, I found myself back here trying to do everything and anything that I can because I love the church. I love being a part of this community. I love what God has called me to do. And um, I used to say that I married into ministry because I married a youth pastor. Uh, but really, God started instilling this in me as a young child. I'd watch my dad preach and I'd say, I want to do that when I get bigger. And, and watching my parents committed to their church and committed to seeing people come to know Jesus just really developed that love and um, inspiration in me. And it is my passion. So I am excited to be here today and share a word that has been stewing inside of me for quite some time. I uh, found myself in a waiting room a few weeks ago and began really processing waiting. So before we get into the word this morning, though, will you join me as we pray? Father God, thank you for another day that we get to come together and celebrate you. God, that we get to come together and seek you. Lord, I believe that no matter why anybody came to church this morning, God, that you brought them here, that you have a purpose for them to be here this morning. And I pray that we would leave with encouragement. God, I pray that your word would speak loud and clear this morning. God, I pray for peace to be filled in every heart that is represented here. I thank you for your word. Lord, let it come alive in your precious name. Amen. So I found myself in this waiting room, and it was an ER waiting room. And most of you know that you, I dread the ER waiting room, right? There's just so much stuff that goes on in there. And, and what we thought would be like an in and out, get there, maybe get some medicine and go home, ended up being a three-day visit. So it really started this process of me thinking about waiting. And I went back to thinking about, so Omar and I, we've actually been married for 17 years, and he did not marry me when I was 12. Uh, I met him when I was 15, and we got married a couple, three years later. But he lived in Auburn, and I lived in Vancouver, Washington. And back in that day, it does seem like a long time ago now, there we didn't have cell phones. I didn't own a cell phone. He didn't own one. He had a pager, which was really cool at the time. And so I would even like page him. We like had our own little codes. And so I'd call him from a payphone and page him numbers. And he knew what that meant. But for the first year, our communication was letters. I would write him a letter and spray some perfume on it and put it in the mail. And and knowing that it would take two to three days for him to get that letter, I still, the very next day, would be checking the mail to see if I got a response back. I waited every day, and it was a long waiting process when really it was about a week and a half of waiting before I heard back from him. And that's how we communicated. Today, we don't have to wait in that sense for very many things. I mean, even going to the grocery store, nobody goes to the grocery store and says, I'm so excited I get to wait for 30 minutes in line, right? That's just not, we don't have to wait a whole lot on things anymore. 
just cameras. Do you remember when one hour photo came out and it was like, that's the best thing in the world. We only have to wait an hour, not four days for film to be developed. So all these different ways of waiting came to my attention and I thought, okay, well, let's look up the definition of wait. So the definition of wait is to remain in a state in which you expect or hope that something will happen soon. That was only five seconds. But wasn't it awkward? You're waiting. Like, what's your point there, Missy? What's happening next? Right? The waiting. And as I was thinking about this, and we actually begin to wait for something next from when we're little. My four-year-old can't wait to be big like her sister or tall like her brother. We can't wait to go to school and then junior high and then high school and prom and graduation. And then we're waiting to get married. We're waiting to have a baby. We're waiting for the next job. We're waiting for promotion. We're waiting to retire. Right? That cycle of waiting goes on and on and on. But what happens when those things that we're waiting on they can seem like big deals, but a lot of those things are actually first world waiting issues, right? What happens about the internal waiting? The things that, some of those bigger things that we're waiting on as far as seasons of life. Maybe some of us today are finding ourselves in a waiting room of waiting to be healed. As we are celebrating Mother's Day, maybe some of us are waiting to get married so that we can have a baby. Or maybe we've been trying to have a baby for a long time and we're waiting. And these are deep, deep things that we can find ourselves constantly waiting on. And I began to explore this meaning of waiting. And the Lord really began to speak to my heart as, as I was in this waiting room. And the reality that we, as long as we are living and breathing, we will always be waiting for something. Because this earth is not our home. We were never intended to stay here forever. God has set eternity in our heart. And I began to seek the word, and um, one of my favorite books is Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes was wrote by a man named Solomon. He decided to write this after making lots of really bad mistakes in his life. And he thought, if I can offer some wisdom for the future generations to maybe not make some of the mistakes that I've made and to maybe realize that there's more to life than the material things. And this was written about 935 years before Jesus walked on earth. So he did not know the hope of Jesus. But he knew the hope because of the scriptures that were passed down to him. He studied God's word. So he knew there was a savior that was going to come, but he did not know of him yet. And he said this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Again, it's really important to remember that he did not know Jesus in the form of man yet. But yet he knew there was eternity. He longed for that eternity. 
And we see here that it's not about getting to that final destination. How many of you know that once you graduate, then there's the job hunt. Once you get married, then there's learning how to be married for the rest of your life. There's constant waiting. Once you get out of debt, you're fighting the temptation to not get back in debt. Once you buy that house, you're waiting to like be done with fixing that house. There's constant waiting that we find ourselves in. It's that cycle. So it's not about necessarily getting to that destination in our waiting seasons. But I believe it, that God wants to speak to us about what is our posture when we're waiting? How do we have the right posture in that waiting room? I was reminded of when I was pregnant with our first baby. Um, again, I was young. I was 20 years old. So I hadn't experienced much of life yet. So we decided to take this Lamaze class. And the whole point of Lamaze is to teach you how to relax when you're giving birth. Now, my mind immediately went to what the heck? How do you relax when you're about to push a baby out? Don't understand. So the whole point was to teach you these different relaxation techniques. And, and it, you know, we learned a little bit. And my husband was great. And he was helping. But let me tell you, when something called an epidural kicked in, that was the best relaxation I have ever known in my entire life. My body was able to do what it needed to do. And what we learned in the Maz was that if you don't relax and you're fearful, what do you do? You tense up. And that's how we find ourselves a lot of times in the waiting room is we tense up. We become paralyzed. And in this analogy that I'm using with um, epidural, can I just say, first of all, that all you natural birth mamas, you are my heroes. I want you to know that. You are my hero. But I find myself many times in life thinking, I just want an epidural. I don't want to feel the pain of what is coming or what I have to do. But I believe that as God began to speak to my heart and remind me that he gives me that, he gives me the strength and the peace in the waiting room. He is a God of miracles. And in the human form, it is impossible for us to understand how we can be in the middle of a storm, in the middle of what can be like a war going on around us, but yet we can stand firm in the word of God and not be paralyzed of fear and be able to move forward in the things that he has for us, even in the waiting room. So I was reminded of a story about a woman who we don't hear a whole lot about because she's in the middle of a really powerful story in the Bible um, in Genesis. And her name is Hagar. And Hagar is a, was a slave from Egypt. And back in that day, um, it's very sad. I mean, slaves, you're usually born into slavery and they had no rights. Uh, their mistress and their master could treat them however they wanted. Um, they could, the master could choose to marry that slave or sell that slave, but it was law that they kept them. So uh, they needed to be treated fair in, a, in that sense, but yet it doesn't make sense, right? Like, this, we're talking about slavery here, and, and it was horrible. And as you read this story, um, Really, it reminds me of a reality TV show today. Like, we could, this could be your entertainment today. I didn't, don't know if you knew that the Bible is full of a lot of scandal. 
Uh, so we're going to start off in Genesis 16. And Sari, I'm calling her Sari. There might be different ways. Uh, if you're a theologian in the house, uh, Bible scholar, you might correct me, but that's okay. I'm going to call her Sari. So Sari, Abram's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. Sari said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. Hello? Like, that's crazy. Abram agreed. I, of course he did, right? <laughs> so, Sari, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. Abram had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar, and she got pregnant. When Hagar learned she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. So here she is thinking, you thought you knew what you're doing, but now I got one up on you. Again, I think we can read about this in some tabloids. So we see here as we read on that Sari told Abram, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you, and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. Abram said, you decide. Your maid is your business. I just get to sleep with her. <laughs> Sarah was abusive to Hagar, and Hagar ran away. An angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert. So here Hagar is, she's like, I'm done. I've put up with this enough. I'm tired of being abused. This is what you wanted, Sari. I give you what you want, and then you continue to treat me like this. So she runs away. She's in the desert, and the angel of God said, Go back to your mistress. Put up with her abuse. He continued, I'm going to give you a family. Children past counting. From this pregnancy, you'll get a son. Name him Ishmael, for God heard you. God answered you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, a real fighter, fighting and being fought, always stirring up trouble, always at odds with his family. If that was me, I would be like, really? Can't you give me like... Really? That's what you have to say about my son? But Sari was so excited. And she said, you're the God that sees me. You heard my cry. You saw. And I saw you. That's how the desert spring got named God Alive Sees Me Spring. That spring is still there. Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And oftentimes, when we read from the, New, from the Old Testament, we can think, I used to think that they're not really 86 years old like we are today. It's kind of like dog years. <laughs> but that's not the case. He really was 86 years old. So this whole story in itself is just a miracle. And like I said, there is a lot in here. Um, Sarah and Abraham, so a lot happened during this time. Sarah's name got changed to Sarah. Abram's name got changed to Abraham. God did give them a child. And we could think that in this story that Sarah was just a mean old witch, but really she was just in the culture that she grew up in. She loved God. She was an honorable woman. 
Uh, same with Abraham. He was an honorable man. And we learned later that God did lay down rules. And, and he gave that command that you are to have one wife. But we also see that these are real humans, just like you and me, making mistakes, struggling with sin. And this gives me hope to know that it doesn't matter what I come from. It doesn't matter what sin I have struggled with. We have a redemptive God. And that's what I want you to hear today as we read this story that's really very scandalous. Um, it's crazy, right? But back to Hagar, we see that circumstances outside of Hagar's control drove her into a very long season of heartache. She had no control. God told her to go can you imagine? And maybe some of you can imagine because maybe some of you are in that waiting room where God's not giving you that immediate answer, but he's asked you to stay and to wait and to trust. So we're going to continue reading, and, and I hope we can learn something from Hagar. Uh, what we find in the first part is she heard God. She listened to God. She trusted and obeyed God. So then we come years later, and like I said, at 90 years old, again, a real-life 90-year-old woman, and we know this because when Sarah, when God told Sarah she was going to be pregnant, she said, excuse me, I'm past the age of childbearing years. Not only that, but I'm worn out, and you're going to give me a child? Like, right now at 35, I don't think I could chase after another two-year-old. I cannot imagine 90, right? But this, this was the case, and God did it, and it was a miracle, and they were happy. So we see a few years later in Genesis 21, and it was probably roughly about 13 years later, uh, maybe less than that, but it says nine, in verse 9, One day Sarah saw the son that Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham, poking fun at her son Isaac. She told Abraham, get rid of this slave woman and her son. No child of this slave is going to share an inheritance with my son, Isaac. Can you imagine? I've never watched the show Sister Wives, but the title alone makes me think it was a little bit like this. Okay, the mama bear came out in both of these women. They both have their sons. Sarah's saying, no way. Sarah says, no way is he going to share the inheritance. The matter gave great pain to Abram. After all, Ishmael was his son. But God spoke to Abraham, don't feel badly about the boy and your maid. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Your descendants will come through Isaac. Regarding your maid's son, be assured that I'll also develop a great nation from him. He's your son too. And again, I love that we hear and we see the heart of God. He leaves no one out. He had a plan, even in the mistakes that Abraham and Sarah made. Because, see, they chose to not wait on the Lord. And because they chose to not wait on the Lord, it caused a lot more heartache. And it involved a lot more people. And sometimes many of us can identify with making some of those same mistakes. But here we see God's redemption. So for, verse 14, Abraham got up early the next morning, got some food together and a canteen of water for Hagar, put them on her back and sent her away with a child. 
She wandered off into the desert. When the water was gone, she left the child under a shrub and went off. She said, I cannot watch my son die. As she sat, she broke into sobs. Meanwhile, God heard the boy crying. The angel of God, God called from heaven to Hagar. What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy and knows the fix he's in. Up now, go get the boy. Give him a long, cool drink. And when she opened her eyes, she saw a well of water. God was on the boy's side as he grew up. He lived out in the desert and became a skilled archer. And his mother got him a wife from Egypt. And we can imagine what happened there. He had a family. We see in this story that Hagar longed for protection. She longed for security. She longed to know that her and her family were going to be okay. She longed to be wanted. Unforeseen circumstances and things that were out of Hagar's control drove her into this period of waiting. Where are you today in your waiting? When we go back to Ecclesiastes and we hear about how our hearts are longing for something more. Our hearts are always longing for that peace. Deep down, we're longing to not hurt anymore. We're longing for that complete healing. We're longing for a way to fill up the voids in our life. We want to stop being stressed out, right? Jesus promises us that we can run to him and we can have that hope of eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Paul says in Hebrews 13, 14, the insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. If you're here today and you are waiting for something, another way that I'd like to define waiting is hoping. You're hoping for something more. You're hoping for something new. Ultimately, you're hoping for what's promised to us in eternity. And here on earth, we, we need these steps of knowing how do we get through these seasons of waiting. The first thing we can do as we follow Hagar's example is we can run to God. What does it look like to run to God? I often have to ask myself, well, what does it look like to run away from God? For me, I know that's going to be isolation. I want to be by myself. It's going to be vegging out having my TV friends that don't need to know anything about me. <laughs> and if I'm thinking about my TV friends throughout the day, there's something wrong. I'm running to the wrong place for that fulfillment. I find myself avoiding the things that need to be done because I'm so overwhelmed. I find myself often getting too busy. I don't have time to run to God. There's always things that need to be done. There's always people that need things from me. If my daughter's in the mezzanine and she's running towards Playland and I'm calling her name, Sylvia, come here. 
She's not listening to me. She's not hearing me because her focus is on the destination. Her focus is on what she wants. But if she turns and looks at me, she will hear my voice. She will see my face. (laughs) And she will come. And that's the same way with running to God. We have to be willing to posture ourselves to look in his direction. To see him so that we can run to him. So if, if me running from God is going to be isolation, then that means when I go to life group to run to God, I need to talk. I need to be open. I need to allow people in. If it means that I'm getting too busy, then I need to figure out what my best yes is and say yes to the things that God's calling me to, but stop filling my time up so much that I'm not making time to have that face-to-face interaction with God. So we have to run to God. We have to get ourselves in a posture so that we can hear his voice. And hearing comes with listening. We can be in a room, especially if you have some ADD like me. I can be, I can be having a conversation with my husband And he can be eye-to-eye, face-to-face, and telling me things that are going on or things that he needs me to do or what's coming up next. And I'm looking at him just like this, and he's done. And I say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear a thing you just said. (laughs) Like, I'm notorious for that. Even at work, I work at Starbucks, and there are many times where I have to do the same thing (laughs) because I'm focused on the things around me. I'm hearing the other voices. I'm not taking the time to just focus in and listen. And that's what it takes with God. Because we can come to church. We can hear the message. We can even read our Bible every day. But if we're not taking time to reflect, to listen, to meditate, to ask God, what are you speaking to me? What are you telling me? And we learn from Hagar that she heard God. So as we find ourselves in the waiting room, God is speaking. We need to listen. Back in the writing days with Omar and I, It would have been really easy, especially for a dude, I'm assuming. I think girls might, although he was a little romantic one and would write poems and things like that. But it would have been easy. I know, so sweet. It would have been easy for him to, like, skim through my letter and just be like, yeah, babe, I miss you too, right? But he read my letters, and I read his letters. And that's how we fell in love, because we didn't see each other a lot. Because he listened to my heart, and I listened to his heart. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to listen to his heart. It comes from opening the word, spending time in worship. The next thing that we have to remember, like Hagar, is we're not alone. In a sense, she was alone that she had no other humans that cared for her. I truly believe that God has 
made us for relationship and we need to be in relationship. But if we're constantly running to people and expecting people to fill that void and to be God for us, we will never be fulfilled in that waiting room. We have to know that the Holy Spirit is with us, that we are not alone. No matter what desert you find yourself in today, you are not alone. And it is so important that you grasp onto that. And before you even allow your husband or your friend or your sister or your mother to come in and wrap their arms around you, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to wrap his arms around you. Because that's what God wants to be for you. Waiting is hard. Seasons can be long. But we find that hope in God. The next thing that Hagar did was she trusted and obeyed her father. There was action that she had to do. And it seemed really hard to go back to go back to the abuse. She now had, wasn't just her, she was now caring for a child, and she knew what was going to come with that. But she trusted God. She obeyed God. So in your waiting room today, I believe that God is calling you to do something in your waiting. He's calling you maybe to come out of that frozen state. Sometimes we find ourselves staying put because we're waiting for that thing to happen. We're waiting for that person. We're waiting for the destination. But God's saying, I've already given you everything you need. I've put eternity in your heart. Hope in me. Let me give you that peace in your waiting. Let me be your encouragement today in the waiting. Back to my story in the beginning of the waiting room and uh, being with my, this loved one and going from, we went from the ER waiting room, then you go to like a triage waiting room, and then you go to the ER hospital waiting room, and then they say we're going to admit you. So then you go into a holding room, and then a couple hours you get into your room in the hospital. Right? So there was a lot of transitions. And with each transition came new doctors. Each room had a new doctor and a new nurse. And each doctor and each nurse asked the same questions. Even though there's a chart. I'm sure there's a really good reasoning behind it. But you're answering the same questions. And with that, things start stirring up in your mind. In that waiting time, thoughts start coming. The what ifs. How are we going to get through this? What are we going to do? How are we going to pay for this? You know, all these different things start coming up. And no matter where you find yourself in the waiting room, know that God has the answer. And even though we do not see it, just like Solomon did 935 years before Jesus was born on this earth, he knew that he had a hope in eternity. And that's where we can find our hope today, in the waiting room. 
is in our Father. And if you're here today and you don't know the hope of eternity, can I tell you it's here? It's through Jesus Christ. And it's just a matter of surrendering yourself. As we close today, we're going to sing this song. And I loved, this is so God. The entire worship set was about eternity. He did not know the message that God put on my heart today. I, I, it couldn't be clear that God wants to give a message of eternity in our waiting rooms today. So no matter what waiting room you find yourself in this morning, no matter what season you find yourself in, can you open your heart? Can you run to God? Can you lean in and hear what he's saying to you? And can we trust and obey him for what's next? I believe he's going to begin to speak some things into you as we sing this song and as we make this declaration. And I encourage you to say yes, to say okay. Father God, I thank you so much. God, for every soul that is sitting here today, God, you've called them by name. You've written their name in the book of life. And God, I pray that there would be a renewing of their spirits this morning. God, I pray that no matter where they're at in their waiting room, God, I pray that they would run to you. God, that they would hear your voice speaking, encouraging, deposits nuggets of truth into them, God. And Lord, I pray that something, your Holy Spirit, would rise up inside of them and give them the strength and the courage to take action, to do what you are calling them to do, to take that next step, that they would trust you with what they have. And with where they are at right now in this season of waiting, let your eternal hope resonate deep within their soul and give them a meaning to life today. In your precious name, amen. Will you stand with me and join me as we close in this song of a declaration of eternity? Here, not just in heaven, but here, as we are walking in our waiting room.